Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome, I'm your host, Tony D'Urso. I interview some of the most successful people in the world, and I thank you for joining us. This show is dedicated to helping you turn your vision into reality. And here are some successful entrepreneurs who provide insights and guidance you can use to move along your vision path. And you can listen to all my shows on most podcast platforms. If you have Apple Podcasts, aka iTunes, please subscribe. And if you like what you hear, a kind review really makes my day. Now, before we get going, here's a big thank you to some amazing sponsors of our show. Please stay tuned for an important message from Cabbage about getting the money you need to run your small business today. Yeah, today. And coming up is a significant message from online trading with tips and tools from investing experts to help you make the right moves in the financial markets. Listen for a vital message from Privacy. At last, great protection when you buy your stuff online. And lastly, check out this message from LinkedIn on how the right hire can make a huge impact for your business. Hey, I said huge. Do listen for that. More info on them just ahead, so please stay tuned. Today's show is about the reckless and guerrilla negotiating strategies with David Putnam and Marcus A. Smith. Let's see what we can learn today. Here's some info on David Putnam. Best-selling author David Putnam comes from a family of law enforcement. During his career, he did it all worked in narcotics, served on FBI-sponsored violent crime teams, and was cross-sworn as a U.S. Marshal pursuing murder suspects and bank robbers. In Hawaii, Putnam was a member of the real-life Hawaii Five-O. And by the way, at the end of this interview, I'm going to do a summary recap of what we went over. So stay tuned for that. Here we go. Welcome to the show, David. So great to have you on with us today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be here. David, The honor and the pleasure is mine. We met at a Barnes & Noble sometime earlier this year. I like your books. I like what you do. And I thought, you know, this would make for a very good interview. And I urge the audience to just have a listen. What's going to go on later? Because we got some really interesting things that you wouldn't necessarily expect from perhaps an author. And I think there's a lot of real life realism in here. We're going to go into that a little bit more. But just before we do that, David, first things first, I'd love to know, how did it all start for you? What's your backstory? Oh, well, I always wanted to be a writer. And I wrote uh, my first novel in junior high, then I tried two more in high school. But then I fell in love with law enforcement, and I kind of got detoured. I was always an avid reader, uh, read from a very young age, read everything. I went into law enforcement, I continued to keep reading. um, And... Uh, it was as I went, moved through law enforcement, I uh, went into uh, violent crimes and narcotics, and I was always doing surveillances. And um, I kept novels in the backseat of my car. And every time we were down on a surveillance, I uh, would read read a novel. So I was getting paid to play uh, cops and robbers. It was the best of both worlds. Then um, one time that started it all was uh, was on a uh, stakeout in the Mojave Desert, the CERN Valley of a meth lab and I was down to my last novel and it was the sophomore effort of a of the first novel that I really enjoyed. It was a national bestseller 
And I thought, this is going to be a great book. I started reading it. And what happens so often in a sophomore effort is the author will spend 10 years writing the first book and then only have one year to write the next one. I think that's what happened in this case because this book was just horrible. But I was a um, captive audience and I had, to, I had to read the whole thing. When I finished, I thought, hey, I could do better than this. And I started writing my first, I wrote my first four novels on the front seat of my undercover car. Each novel was four legal pads long. And I had, I couldn't type. I, I self-taught myself how to type after this. But I paid someone to put those four novels on the big floppy disks. Because this was back in 1989, 1990. And I continued on writing. And... um I didn't sell my first book until I had written 38 manuscripts, four agents, and 156 rejections. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's astounding what it takes sometimes to get a book. But the fact is, you persevered. You kept on and you kept on, and you actually made it. You've, you've got a number of books. What's, what's the total number of books you have right now that are out and published? Book six, The Reckless, just came out last February. They just, uh, the, the um, Heartless comes out next February, and the publisher just bought the one for 2021, which is going to be called, we're tentatively going to be called The Ruthless. And I'm working on number nine right now. I'm about a third of the way through it. That is so great. I just love it. Now, David, you mentioned that you really liked writing and you went into law enforcement. So I've got to ask, was it the fiction? Was it romanticized a little for you? Is that what got you into law enforcement so that you could chase violent criminals? Yeah, you know, uh, I try to think back as a kid. I think it was Adam Twelve, and you know those those police stories. Uh, I read Wamba very early, uh, even when I was a young kid. So I got I think I, that's my my genesis where it started: reading and watching television, watching, seeing how that kind of lifestyle that I wanted. I wanted that kind of adventure. I remember that Adam Twelve and Car Fifty Four. Where are you? That probably really dates me pretty seriously. Hawaii Five O, and right now you yeah. you lecture you you talk because I know you've got this talk. I like to actually find out a little bit more about it, like the anatomy of violence and what does it take to shoot someone. Yeah, that's I I do that talk uh, quite often. People are, are seem to be curious about it, and I try to break it down for a civilian what a, a cop actually goes through, and I go into the. Um, the, the, the continuity, the um, seven levels of force. And then I, I explain my violent confrontations as they escalated in my early career to my first officer involved shooting. And I explain each one and break it down and, and use the uh, use of force continuum to help explain it. And it, it's uh, pretty well received, I think. It's interesting. Tell us a little bit more about this use of force and I guess uh, the gradient approach that you have to do. Like if you're chasing someone, you just pull out your gun. You can't shoot a person if you're chasing them, right? There are certain protocols and rules that you are accountable for, even if, I don't want to second guess, but even if you're chasing a murderer, there are still rules and regulations. Otherwise, you can get in trouble. Maybe cover a little bit of this before we go into your book. Well, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty detailed explanation, but you can only shoot someone when your life is in danger or somebody else is in danger. So if someone is running away from you, you have to show a threat to public safety in order to shoot them uh, legally. So he's a murder suspect uh, and he's just shot somebody or, or he's, he, there's a, a likelihood that he's going to injure somebody, then you can shoot him. 
a burglary suspect, you can't shoot. You know, an armed robbery suspect, that's a tough one. Uh, that's a tough call. I don't know if I would necessarily do it. The big thing that I go into uh, in, in my talk, Anatomy of Violence and What It Takes to Shoot Somebody, is are the three things that an officer needs besides the use of force continuum, which there are seven of those. And it's the legal right, the moral right, and the emotional ability to pull a trigger. And what you're seeing today in most of these uh, videos are officers who have the legal right and the legal right to shoot somebody, but not necessarily the moral right. And that's what's what people are seeing. They, they see the legal right shooting, but they don't necessarily see the moral right. I get you. Very interesting. It's really quite something now. But it's a flash decision sometimes. You've got to decide, you know, the time is very compressed. It's very truncated. Shoot or not shoot because you've got to get your, your suspect or is your suspect going to hurt you? So it's a lot going at all at once. So I would think that mistakes can't be made. But how do you make a rational decision when there's such a confusion going on? Well, it, it has to, you have to fall back on your training. Uh, for example, if you come into a room and there's a, a guy standing with a 10-inch butcher knife and he's 15 feet away, even though you have a gun pointed at him, he can get to you with that knife before you can pull the trigger. It takes a second and a half for the stimuli to go from your brain to your finger to pull the trigger. And in that second and a half, he could be on you with that knife. So you have to make a, a mental decision, uh, a line in the sand, uh, that if he crosses it, you're going to have to pull the trigger. And people, that's one of the things people don't understand. Why did they shoot him? Why did they shoot him so many times? Because they're not shooting to kill him, they're shooting to stop him. Oh, I see. David, you've been in a variety of law enforcement activities. You've been in SWAT, you've been in detective, you've been in internal affairs, criminal intelligence, you've worked with the FBI. I think you've been in all of them that I can think of. What would you say is probably the most challenging in that law enforcement? <laughs> to me, uh, my big error in my career, I had a great career. I loved every minute of it. My error, though, was leaving the autonomy of being a detective and going to sergeant and supervising other detectives and other patrol officers because it kind of took me out of, you know, what I really wanted to do. And that was Chase Crooks instead of managing or supervising people. Interesting. I, I guess you're, you, you're more detached. So you're out of that element that you that brought you into that environment in the first place. Yeah, that's correct. And one last one here before we go into your book. You were on SWAT and apparently you did a you did a bit of jumping out of helicopters. Is that so? <laughs> yeah, on a SWAT team, we had to qualify or recertify uh, quarterly. I think it was quarterly. And we had to repel out of a helicopter at 150 feet. And, and then we also had to practice flying in on a helicopter on a, let's say, for instance, a uh, meth lab. Because Embryo County is so large, uh, it's 20,000 square miles. It's the largest county in the United States. We went in helicopters uh, many times to uh, SWAT callouts because it would take too long to get there in a car. So we did a lot of helicopter training. And I, wasn't, I didn't have a fear of heights until after I got out, out of the SWAT. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand. This is author David Putnam, The Reckless. And you can find him at davidputnambooks.com. I'm going to spell that. David, we know that word. Putnam is P-U-T-N-A-M. DavidPutnamBooks.com. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others. 
to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about the reckless and guerrilla negotiating strategies with David Putnam and Mark S.A. Smith. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Managing inventory, covering payroll, and doing a hundred other things before launch is just an average day when you own a small business. Your time is valuable, and getting the money you need shouldn't take up all of it. That's why Cabbage created a simple, modern way for businesses to access up to $250,000 of credit. I've had some great ideas in the past for a new business, and it always seemed to be the same story. It takes a little bit of money to get it going. Sometimes it seems the cart is always before the horse, and you just go in this runaround circle of needing some capital in order to finance a business. But you don't want to give up the business idea, and you don't always necessarily need that much money to get it going. Cabbage's application process is online, and takes just minutes to complete and get a decision. If your business qualifies, you can access the amount you need right away and withdraw more funds whenever you need extra capital. Cabbage has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and has provided over 200,000 small businesses with access to funding. Get the money you need to run your small business today. Go to cabbage.com and use code TONY to get a $100 credit on your first loan statement. That's K-A-B-B. A-G-E dot com. Disclaimer, offer ends November 30th. Must take a minimum $5,000 loan to qualify. Credit line subject to review and change. Individual requests for capital are separate installment loans issued by Celtic Bank, member FDIC. Check it out and tell me what you like about it. Share that on my Twitter at Tony D-U-R-S-O. Let's be honest, most people weren't taught how to invest in school, and if you're like me, you've probably wondered, is there a path to help me take better control of my financial future? Now, isn't that something that everyone would like to know? Otherwise, you can feel like a cork bobbing in the ocean, right? Have I got some interesting news for you. As a leader in investing and trading education, Online Trading Academy teaches people just like you a step-by-step process designed to help you make the right moves in the financial markets. You'll discover common investor mistakes, learn about risk management skills, and how to develop a personal income and wealth education plan. Did you hear my story on last week's show? Here's a quick recap. Years ago, I bought the books, got the newsletters, and spent hours upon hours learning how to trade in the market. And I do mean hours. And then I jumped in and started buying and selling stocks. I know you're going to laugh. But in my first year, I made $24,000. Man, that was a lot of work. And guess what? It cost me $23,000. So my profit was $1,000 after all of that work. No one will ever care about your financial future as much as you do. So now is the time to start learning how education could help you take better control of your financial future from now on. So here's Online Trading Academy to give you a hand. In the first hour with their free introductory class, I learned so much that explained so many errors I made before and why my gains were just like everyone else's. Well, I started learning how to think like the big institutional funds think and to buy when they buy and sell when they sell. That information really turned everything around for me. 
The online trading academy classes are so easy to view and understand. They're clear, simple, and well explained. I wish I knew about this years ago, and this is why I really want you to check it out and see for yourself how cool it is. What would you do if you knew skills designed to help you generate income and build confidence toward your retirement goals? Well, get started by joining the more than 500,000 people who have attended one of their free classes, and they have over 190,000 reviews. That's amazing. Sign up for a free three-hour introductory class at otatrade.com slash Tony. That's a free class in your area. Register at otatrade.com slash Tony. You'll even receive their professional insider's kit just for attending. That's otatrade.com slash Tony. Begin taking control of your financial future today with no obligation. Get your kit and learn a step-by-step strategy designed to help you think and act like the professionals. That's otatrade.com slash Tony. So sign up, check it out, and tell me how you like it. Share that on my Twitter at Tony, D-U-R-S-O. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyD'Urso.com. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Let's see what we can learn today. Today's show is about the reckless and guerrilla negotiating strategies with David Putnam and Mark S.A. Smith. At the end of this interview, I'll give you a summary of what I got out of this and share some pointers and knowledge with you, so stay tuned for that. David Putnam did two tours on the San Bernardino County Sheriff's SWAT team. He also has experience in criminal intelligence and internal affairs, and he supervised corrections, patrol, and a detective bureau. The Reckless is the sixth in the Bruno Johnson series and the second of the young Bruno prequels. All right. And now back to the chat with David. David, let's talk about your latest book in the Bruno Johnson series, The Reckless. It just came out some months ago or early last year. What's this book about? Each one of my books, uh, Bruno Johnson, he, he's an ex-cop, ex-con, and he rescues children from toxic homes in South Central Los Angeles. He couldn't do it when he was a cop because there were too many rules and regulations. So now he goes outside the law to rescue the children. So each book has that component in, in the storyline, the main plot line. But I try to put in, I try to layer in two additional plot lines that run parallel with that main uh, theme. And in The Reckless, yeah, I took the storyline from a real life case that I was involved in where a husband and wife team were soliciting teens from the inner city basketball courts, brainwashing them and telling them that they can't go to prison for robbing a bank because they were underage. They would give them stolen guns and stolen cars and send them in to rob banks. So we were tasked with taking them into custody without anybody getting hurt. So that is the main plot line. But there are other things that are that are running parallel inside that storyline as well. David, that's shocking that people actually do this. Absolutely. And by the way, disclosure to the audience here. I met David at the Barnes & Noble, and I actually purchased The Reckless for my wife, who loves this genre of books. And she liked the book just so you know. She liked it and passed it on to one of her employees who liked it and passed it on. And who knows where the chain is. And I have found 
in my interviewing that if I don't read a book, I'm more interested in all about it because I want to bring that information to the audience. So I don't read something until after I do the interview. So just so you know, this way, otherwise, like, yeah, I read your book. Let's talk about something else. So I would love to know, David, are you the real life Bruno Johnson? Do you write about yourself and some of your exploits or is this more composite of people that you knew or worked with? Um, some Bruno Johnson has a lot of uh, my ideas and the way I, I handled different situations. Uh, but many times it's Bruno Johnson's doing things that I would have liked to have done and didn't do. Um, so he champions the rights of children and goes outside the law doing that. And I, and many times in my career, that was the most impo- emotional part of my career was dealing with children. And I didn't get to deal with them the way I, I thought they should have been dealt with because we had to follow the rules. So yeah, I could say that Bruno has a lot of my thinking in the character. Um, and I do take other ideas from other people that I've met, especially the, the, the extra characters and the bad guys. I take some of the bad guys right from the job and I, I, I write them just the way they were when I met them. That's amazing. Therefore, your books have a tremendous amount of realism. They're not airy-fairy. They're real events that really can or have happened. Yeah, the first three bank robberies in The Reckless happened just the way I wrote them in the book. Uh, the first day I walked into the FBI office, I wrote that just the way it happened, uh, minus the love interest in the book. But otherwise, I wrote it just the way it went down. And out of this career that you had, you left it to go to Hawaii to serve in the Hawaii Five-0. Can we do a little segue on that? What happened there? Um, <laughs> well... As I said before, I knew I made a mistake leaving detectives and went to sergeant. And I was working, I'd worked a number of years as an admin sergeant, as a patrol sergeant, as correction sergeant. I, I really was not enjoying myself except for patrol because I made sure my guys were doing the right thing. And I'd go hunting myself and find bad guys and take them to jail while I was a patrol sergeant. And I was doing that when the undersheriff, the second in command of the sheriff's department, invited me to work at internal affairs and he said he would promote me if I would do that. And I turned him down. I didn't want to be a lieutenant. I didn't want to work internal affairs. And about the third time that he called, my captain called me in the office and said, uh, you really need to do this. So I knew it was a mistake. I took the posting at internal affairs and I was there for a year and it was the worst job I'd ever worked because I was investigating friends of mine. And it was, they are very intense investigations. Uh, they're very technical and detailed. A lot more rules you got to follow. And I, I wasn't enjoying myself. So one day I was on a computer doing something. I just pulled up Hawaii because that's where my wife uh, was born and raised. And that's where her folks still lived. And I just applied for the special agent for the state of Hawaii. And I didn't, I forgot about it. And one day I got a phone call and he asked me to come and interview. And I did. And I flew out to Hawaii. It was a two-hour interview, the most uh, intense interview I've ever taken. And then they eventually hired me. There was 50 special agents, and it wasn't like a TV show by any stretch, which everybody knows. But the, the big difference was the culture shock because the, they actually infuse the Hawaiian culture, the aloha spirit, into their work ethic. So the first case, one of the first cases I get, I get a... Um, it's an assault case. I work it up, get a, get a warrant for the arrest. And I tell my supervisor, hey, I'm going to go um, kick this guy's door and take him to jail. He goes, whoa, whoa, we don't do that here. I go, what do you mean? He, he said, well, he looks at his calendar. He says, 
call them up and have them come on Thursday. We're going to have the bus out front Thursday. What? <laughs> the bus. <laughs> yeah. So, but I want to kick a, the door down. <laughs> I know. And because it's an island and because everybody knows everybody, they, they just call them up. And I did. I called the guy up and he showed up and there was no fun in that. How could you have fun chasing crooks? <laughs> so that was my first indoctrination. And I, I ended up having a good time because they flew me to every island for investigations. I got to see all of Hawaii. I mean, a lo- all of Hawaii, almost all the streets. So it was a really great experience. And I have got some good stories about it, too. Are we going to have Bruno Johnson in Hawaii in some future stories? You know, my publisher keeps asking me if I'm going to do that. I don't know. I try to write. I probably put the reader in, in the, the scene that I was actually, that I actually experienced. Uh, and the sights, the smells, the fears. And I didn't have any of those kind of experiences in Hawaii. So it would be more fiction if I did. And I, I think I have, the, I have the skill level that I could do that now but i'm still having fun i'm i'm on book nine of bruno and i've got one other idea that just popped up for book 10 and then once i write that one and if i go dry on ideas i might take them away you know maybe on a vacation but right now bruno's got 12 rescued kids that he's hiding out in costa rica and i'm going to rescue i think the way this book's turned out two more so he's going to have 14 or 16 kids by the time i get to it's going to be a lot of plane tickets to get him to Hawaii. <laughs> well, we definitely want those kids rescued, so you got to keep on that. <laughs> David, a little switch segue here. We've got a large entrepreneurial business audience, so we're always looking at advice and guidance to grow our own business. There's solopreneurs. There's people with startups. So you've been in a great, you've went from one industry to something you love, and you were very successful at it. I'd like to know, we would all like to know, what would be some important advice that you can give our audience on for them that they can utilize to help achieve their goals? <laughs> that's, a, that's another multifaceted uh, answer to that question. I love the writing aspect of this job, and I could do that 24-7. But the marketing is what really gets me. I have to stop and stop where I'm writing or, or put my time in uh, on a calendar <laughs> to actually do the marketing. You can, you can do that for 24-7 too because it's just never ending. Uh, my wife is very good at marketing. She studied it and she helps out a lot. I think what helps us is the perseverance because the market for books is continually changing because of the digital age. Same thing happened with the music where the, the whole structure changed. And so now, same thing, now the books are doing the same thing and you know, 10 years ago, books changed since, and even five years ago. So we keep trying to change with that landscape. And I think the best uh, advice would be to try to change with it. Look to see where the next change is going to come. And that's what we're doing. We are we're working diligently toward that end. Uh, we just recently got into Barnes & Noble, and that was difficult. It took me five years to get in. So those kind of things, always look for, look for something new, because everybody else is. Last time I checked, I think it was three years ago, there were 3 million self-published books coming out. And so everybody's trying to wedge into that market. So you have to uh, rise above all of those folks. And uh, it comes down to marketing. Who's going to come up with the next idea, I think. Oh, and, you know, it helps to have a, a, a well-written book, too. 
There you go. Well, thank you. That's very good advice and so true on the marketing. We could keep doing it forever. I found my successful numbers is that 80-20 rule. 20% get the job done and then 80% promoting it, marketing it, telling people about it. It just seems to be how that kind of works out. I never looked at it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. You know, the 80-20, that doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This is the Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about the reckless and guerrilla negotiating strategies with David Putnam and Mark S.A. Smith. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. This podcast is brought to you by privacy.com slash Tony. Privacy.com slash Tony lets you buy things online using virtual cards instead of real ones, protecting your identity and bank information on the internet. If you listened to my last few shows, you heard me say this. It just happened a few months ago. 100 million people had their personal information hacked through a major credit card. You can search that easily and read all about it. Yeah, my information was in there too. And guess what? It just happened again last week. My neighbor's card just got hacked for $1,500. Man, this is rampant. Anytime we buy anything online, we give access to our personal information to merchants and their data partners and their data partners and their data partners. This happens without our clear consent. Security protection isn't always the most fun topic, but it's important to ensure that your online presence is safe and secure. Privacy.com slash Tony is a free tool that makes it super easy to manage your financial lives online without sharing your real banking information. That's why I recommend Privacy.com slash Tony to all my followers. You can feel safe about making purchases anywhere online, especially on websites you're unfamiliar with or have never used before. And you can take control of your finances by setting a spend limit and control your subscriptions and recurring payments. Make sure that you're never accidentally billed twice or upgraded to another service without your consent. That's happened to me before. You set a spending limit to what you should be paying with that service per month to catch these. And there's no interest or annual fees. This is amazing. Head to privacy.com Tony to sign up and start shopping. As a special treat for my listeners, new customers will automatically get $5 to spend on your first purchase. Yep, that's free money to use on any online purchase. Go to privacy.com slash Tony and sign up now. Sign up, check it out, and tell me what you like about it. Share that on my Twitter at Tony D-U-R-S-O. Hear the stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today, Voice America Influencers. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with Key Influencers. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyD'Urso.com. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Let's see what we can learn today. 
Today's show is about the reckless and guerrilla negotiating strategies with David Putnam and Mark S.A. Smith. At the end of this interview, I'll give you a summary of what I got out of this and share some pointers and knowledge with you, so stay tuned for that. I've written a couple books on marketing. I've been in lead generation and marketing for decades, and you know, there's so many great products out there that we don't hear about, and it's just because the inventors, the, the people involved, are very focused on their quality and making the product good, but they have to spend some time, more time, on letting other people know. And that's why the big name brands like, you know, McDonald's or Mercedes, they just didn't do one commercial and, and call it quits. They're, they keep promoting this. They pump billions into promoting and marketing. And that's what you really have to do. You know, I've seen okay products that you wouldn't really think twice about being sold like crazy and being very hot items because they were well marketed. That seems to be very, very much the key. So when you have a good product like you do, you've got a great book. You've got a great series, and you really let people know about it. You can do very, very well with it. Absolutely. Thank you. Oh, by the way, this Bruno Johnson, this Reckless, is you went back in time. This is a younger Bruno Johnson than as in the earlier stories? Well, what I did was I, did, I wrote four books in current day. The Disposables, the Replacements, The Squandered, and then The Vanquished. And in The Vanquished, I kind of beat Bruno up pretty badly. I broke him physically and emotionally. And uh, the publisher said, this is a great book, but I don't know how you're going to come back from that. So I I thought about that and I needed more time to figure a way out of that problem. So I wrote um, a prequel and I I decided to write four prequels to get them up to speed with the background that I gave them when I wrote the first book. So The Reckless is actually the second prequel. The Innocence is the first prequel. Reckless is is the second. The Heartless comes out in February is the third. And the Rufus is the fourth and final prequel. And we'll have eight. Four in Latter-day, starting in 1988, and then four in current day. Once again, this is author David Putnam talking about The Reckless, his latest hot best-selling book. You can find him at davidputnambooks.com. And Putnam is P-U-T-N-A-M. That's davidputnambooks.com. Thank you, David. Just absolutely loved it. And I look forward to hearing about your next book. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And now we have Mark S.A. Smith join us. Mark S.A. Smith is a business growth strategist who works with executives who must build and run sustainable, scalable, profitable, and saleable businesses. He does this by educating and coaching on the executive strategy skill stack, the seven elements that must be in place to be an effective business leader. He also hosts the Executive Strategy Skills Summit, and authored 14 books. And by the way, at the end of this interview, I'm going to do a summary recap of what we went over. So stay tuned for that. Here we go. Welcome to the show, Mark. So great to have you on. This is our second interview, and I can't wait to jump into and talk about guerrilla negotiating strategies. However, for our newer audience members, first things first, let's, uh, let's tell everyone how did it all start for you? What's your backstory? I love it, Tony. Thank, and thank you for inviting me back. I'm glad I passed the first audition. <laughs> there you go. You and Ringle Star. Hey, that's the way it works. I love it. Well, let's get some rhythm going as far as making money by negotiating better. The grill negotiating happened because I wrote a 5,000-word little pamphlet called 49 Ways to Be Your Best at Trade Show Selling. Orville Ray Wilson, who co-authored Gorilla Selling with Jay Conrad Levinson, Mr. Gorilla Marketing, 
met me, said, we need to write this book. And so we wrote Gorilla Trade Show Selling First, which is essentially how do you run a 15-second funnel? Because that's what trade shows are. You got a second and a half to grab their attention, three seconds to qualify them, and essentially seven or eight seconds to sell them. And maybe we'll save that for another show. And then out of that particular book, the success of that, Wiley said, hey, we want more books from you and Orville Ray along with Jay. And so Guerrilla Negotiating was our second book in the series of three that we wrote together. Or actually the third, excuse me, the third in the series of three we wrote together. The intention behind this book was very simple. As salespeople, buyers are well-trained in negotiating, but most salespeople aren't trained in negotiating. So we wanted to write a book that was the antidote to all the dirty tricks that buyers play on salespeople to get them to lower their prices. That's very interesting. I like that, and I definitely want to learn some. And for our audience, let's educate them on who Jay Conrad Levinson is. And while we're at it, let's define guerrilla marketing for them as well. I like it. Guerrilla marketing is the concept of how can a small business who doesn't have a lot of money go up against the big companies that have millions and millions of dollars of advertising. J. Conrad Levinson, who was the father of guerrilla marketing, writing the first guerrilla marketing book in the early 80s, was part of a large advertising agency. Jay invented the Marlboro Man. He was the guy that came up with advertising for Alka-Seltzer. And a lot of the classic brands that were developed in the 80s and 90s were Jay's brainstorm. Well, he decided that it was time to provide some of these insights that he had to smaller companies. And so he wrote the original book, Guerrilla Marketing, which is this idea of instead of facing your enemy directly when they've got an air force and big bombs and all you've got is sticks and bottles and rocks, is you do things unconventionally. The whole concept behind guerrilla is guerrilla warfare, where you've got to go up against your enemies with what you got. And so Jay came up with these low-cost, highly effective marketing approaches strategies and techniques that allowed people to succeed. And you still hear people use the word guerrilla marketing all the time. Unfortunately, Jay passed away a few years ago, but his legend and work still continues from devoted co-authors such as myself and many others. I think he's one of the most brilliant and one of the most prominent marketing geniuses of all time. I mean, as you mentioned, Marlboro Man, Alka-Seltzer, Charlie Tuna, Lonely Maytag Repairman, Jolly Green Giant. The list just goes on and on. Most of the time, he personified an item, a product, but not always. As an Alka-Seltzer, he didn't. He created, I believe, or came up with this great jingle, I remember, kind of dating myself. But I remember those jingles from the Alka-Seltzer when I was a kid watching them on TV, and they stuck in the head. Whatever he did, however he did it, they stuck in the head, and you always remembered that product or item. Absolutely amazing. Indeed. Yes, indeed. And why is it like guerrilla warfare? What's the guerrilla in guerrilla marketing? Well, the guerrilla is the concept of being unconventional. While the big boys and girls are doing things according to the corporate approach, guerrillas do things that are unconventional. And one of the classic examples Jay would use is there were these three furniture stores side by side by side in a strip mall. And the guy in the middle saw his competition to the left put up a great big sign says, Massive Sale. And his competition to the right had another sign up, everything 30% off. 
So he went out and had a little sign made, put it over his door, said main entrance. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's a gorilla approach, right? And (laughs) so it doesn't cost very much yet. It's brilliant and effective. That's exactly right. So the whole idea behind being a gorilla is be willing to do things unconventionally, be willing to ask for forgiveness versus asking for permission. And the whole concept was to be contrarian and to try, 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 and try, test everything you can. Jay's fundamental concept was marketing is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not a particular thing you do. It's not placing an advertising. It's the packaging of everything you do together that creates this assortment of tools that brings people into the organization. And that was his whole idea. And we just applied that same unconventional approach to the world of negotiating. I like that. That's sticking with me right now. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's not a one-time, one thing, like a sale, perhaps. It's not a one thing. It's an ongoing evolution. Absolutely. It's a, it's, it's a process. It's a system. And remember that what we sow in marketing, we reap in sales. And so marketing is the work that creates the conversation that allows a person to want to enter into a sales agreement with us. Well, all right, Mark. And we have a a wide variety of entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, mid-sized business people, and so forth here. Let's go into some of these guerrilla negotiating strategies and tactics. All right. Let's uh, let's start off with uh, what is guerrilla negotiating versus other strategies. Well, first of all, is to gain a fair advantage in an unfair world. And that's where we're really applying that concept of being a guerrilla. The idea here is to use all the resources you have available to your maximum benefit so you don't leave anything on the table. And the goal is to create an agreement that you both want to keep. That is a critical component of guerrilla negotiating. It's not about beating the other guy. It's about creating an environment where everybody involved looks forward to keeping the agreement. And with those fundamentals in place, what I want to share with you is the five key elements that you must have in play in any negotiation. So the first one is you must have walkaway power. If you're forced to take what you can get when you're up against a strong negotiator, you're going to get what they decide that you'll take. (laughs) So you've got to have the capacity to walk away so that you can control what you'll settle for. And a lot of people have gone into negotiations uh, without that walkaway power. And and quite frankly, if you don't have the ability to say, "Uh, you know, this isn't going to work out, you know, thanks for playing. And uh, here's a nice parting gift. You've got to have walkaway power. Another way is don't be desperate. That's the way I look at it. When I go into a a deal or a big deal or whatever, I don't have to have it. It's not, it's important. I want to do it, but it's not critical. It's not the end of the world if it doesn't happen. And yeah. I could take That's it or right. leave it, but yet I still want it. So it's kind of, you're playing both sides, but you're still, it's important, but it's not like you've got to give up everything for it. That's absolutely right. You have to get uh, what you want. And as part of your strategy in getting this together, you have to set your priorities on your personal demands, your needs, and your wants. So what are your must-gets? And if you can't get your must-gets, you have to be able to stand up and walk away. You have to have your intend-to-gets. No, these are things that I intend to have. Then you have the nice to gets. (laughs) 
And the more of the nice it gets, the sweeter it gets. But uh, the idea is without your muskets and at least a good portion of your intent to get, you have to have the walkaway power. I like the way you put that together. Thank you. Yeah, the muskets that got to have it. (laughs) Yeah, got to have it. The got to have it or the it'd be nice to have, but it's not that critical. That's right. And that's part of your preparation for the uh, negotiation, which is the second key element you have to have in play for you to have the negotiation go your way. And that is intel. You got to have intelligence both on your side as well as their side. The best prepared party knowing about the other party's situation is at strong advantage because you'll be able to detect bluffs. You'll be able to know where there's leverage and leverage is what allows you to get your must gets and your intend to gets. And without Intel, you're just shooting in the dark. So let's say for example, you're going up against a, 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 a situation where it's just right at the edge of your budget. And you'd really like to preserve some of your budget for some emergency contingencies. Well, if they know what your budget is, then they're going to hold firm. But if you if you act like, you know, we have other options, there's other things we can do, there's no desperation here, you know, while you're a preferred vendor, we've got to have it fit within our budgetary range, that intel is critical. And if you know that they have an excess of inventory and they're also suffering against their target numbers, you have an advantage in that situation. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about the reckless and guerrilla negotiating strategies with David Putnam and Mark S.A. Smith. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Hiring the right person takes time, time that you often don't have, but you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. I've checked this out while I'm not hiring another employee right this second. I see that 25 million job seekers visit LinkedIn every week. Can you imagine 25 million a week? Wow, what an army of good people looking for work. I can't get over it. Now, think how fast you can get the right hire for what you need. Think about that carefully. Well, guess what? A hire is made every eight seconds using LinkedIn. Imagine that. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast. Things like collaboration, creativity, adaptability. LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and connects you with candidates who match your business perfectly. That's how LinkedIn can make sure your job post gets in front of people you want to hire. People with the skills, qualifications, and other insights that help LinkedIn paint a better picture of potential candidates. It's no wonder great candidates are hired every eight seconds on LinkedIn. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash Tony. Again, that's linkedin.com slash Tony to get $50 off your first job post. 
Terms and conditions apply. So sign up, check it out, and tell me what you like about it. Share that on my Twitter at Tony D-U-R-S-O. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyD'Urso.com. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Let's see what we can learn today. Today's show is about the reckless and guerrilla negotiating strategies with David Putnam and Mark S.A. Smith. At the end of this interview, I'll give you a summary of what I got out of this and share some pointers and knowledge with you, so stay tuned for that. Mark uses systems thinking to help organizations successfully bring new, disruptive technology to market and learning the secret to conducting conversations with customers who don't think they want or need what's being sold. He's also a professional speaker, musician, and father of five millennial children, none of whom live at home. And now back to the chat with Mark. I'm really thinking with this, and there are in our audience consultants and people that have a product, it's all set or service, and it's all in place, and they're just looking for good clients that are a good fit for it. They have the price structure. They have the whole thing worked out, and they want sales. They want to sell that service or that product or whatever to businesses, and Sometimes there's not much to negotiate on because it's all worked into the product, though they could have options of value added. If you sign a longer term contract, you get so much. I'm just trying to take what you've given and apply it to other fields such as that. Do you have anything that you'd like to comment on that part? Oh, well, sure, of course. Now, if you have a person that's negotiating with you, you know you've got somebody who's relatively sophisticated or at least has some history negotiation. And your job then is to figure out how much they're going to look to take off the table so that you can get the deal. Unfortunately, for a lot of people in the business of sales, they think that they have to negotiate for the agreement. And that's not necessarily so. You don't. If you have something, well, well, let me put it this way. If you are sold out, there's no need to negotiate. Because you can sell it at full price under your terms to somebody else. If you're at capacity or close to capacity, right? Absolutely true. There's no reason to sell what you deliver at a discount if you're at capacity. None whatsoever. If you can find other people to buy at full price, to sell at a discount is just bad business acumen. But if you have a lot of it in the back and you've got cash flow problems and you need to bring some cash in right now, you might negotiate to bring in a deal a little faster. Now, sometimes negotiation isn't about price. Sometimes it's about speed. Sometimes it's about longevity. The terms are as important as the agreement, as any other part of the agreement. For example, you know, Tony, I'll buy whatever you got for a million bucks as long as my terms are a dollar a year for a million years. I was going to say sold, and then you gave me the second part of the deal. <laughs> That's right. See, the terms matter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll skip it. Sorry, Mark. I'm walking away from this. No deal. <laughs> All right. So Intel is an important component of that. The third factor that you have to have in play is a deadline. 
whoever has the farthest out deadline or who can set a deadline for the other party controls timing. And fundamentally, no deadline, no deal. This is Mark S.A. Smith talking about guerrilla negotiating strategies. And you can find him at, and I'm going to spell it, B-I-J-A-C-O dot com. Mark, can you give us the pronunciation of your website and perhaps tell us the story of how you got that name? Gladly. Bija Co. B-I-J-A is Bija. Bija means seed in Sanskrit. And we believe the seeds of greatness is inside everybody. All they need is the right water and nurturing to grow to success. I love it. You bet. Well, this all comes out of the book, Guerrilla uh, Negotiating, available on Amazon and other great uh, booksellers. Mark, that puts it perfectly into perspective. I appreciate it so much here. We talked about a lot of gems. I urge the audience, listen to this again. There is a lot here. And Mark, we just only scratched the surface on it's Guerrilla true. Marketing Strategies. I just absolutely loved it. And again, your site is bijaco.com. Just loved having you go over these points, and I want to thank you once again for this. Uh, you're so welcome. And if you go to the site and just type negotiating in the search box, you'll find a variety of resources that you can pull up uh, and, uh, and review and use this to profit and prosper. Mark, this is great, and we thank you so much for your five points. Can we find those five points on your site, by the way? To they refresh are. Our- okay, perfect. They are. It's called Five Ways to Win Your Next Negotiation. So I just figured I'd uh, offer you something that's in a simple list ready to go. We appreciate that so much. Mark, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We really appreciate it. Always a delight, Tony. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with the audience. To my visionary audience, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured elite entrepreneurs who took their vision to reality. I hope this was as inspiring for you as it was for me to do these interviews. I learned so much. The insights are so valuable. How did you like these interviews? David Putnam, The Reckless. There's a great point on this interview about when is it right to shoot someone and can you and other aspects. Sometimes there's so much going on and you have to make a fast decision. Can you make the right one? Have you ever been in such a frenzy in your work with so much going on that perhaps you didn't know what to do first? Are you able to be calm in an emergency? Can you make the best decision when you're between a rock and a hard place? I know we're talking about a peace officer shooting someone, But I think the same stress applies. We need to be trained and know when we have to act on some emergency or possible emergency. And we have to know enough to make the best decision possible. Because the future of our business can be at stake. I firmly believe that when we have our vision, our purpose, and our long-term objective fully in place, that it becomes a lot easier to make that snap decision when we're up against the wall. In other words, if you really know where you're going in your business or career, and you have it fully worked out in your mind and on paper, then it becomes a lot easier to make a fast decision when you're put into a corner, don't you think? And did you catch that part where David talks about how he likes the writing part of his job, which can compare to the key technical part of what you do, and that it is the marketing part that really gets to him? Very interesting. And as he says, it's a never-ending task, the marketing. So how do you juggle your work, especially you entrepreneurs out there, when you're doing the work of your business that you've built with your bare hands and you have to keep switching to do marketing? I run into this myself in that finding and interviewing some of the most successful people around seem to be so easy and it usually goes very smoothly. 
On the other hand, I find, just like David, that the marketing can go forever and I have to keep putting my attention on it constantly to make sure it gets done. How about you? David is smart in that he has his wife help him do the marketing for him. They make a great team indeed. What are you doing in your business to rise above in your category? Are you marketing any differently? Tweet at Tony, D-U-R-S-O, and let us know. Mark S.A. Smith, Guerrilla Negotiating Strategies. Are you familiar with J. Conrad Levinson, the father of guerrilla marketing? I'm blessed with interviewing at least four people who co-wrote a guerrilla book with Levinson. Find out more about him if you're not already familiar, as it will change how you do business going forth. How can a small company that doesn't have much money go up against the big giants that have millions at their disposal? That's guerrilla marketing. It's unconventional because you have to be that in order to survive and get your product noticed. Being unconventional, doing things differently than expected, is the guerrilla part of guerrilla marketing. Can you come up with a main entrance guerrilla approach for your business? I'm working on mine and I welcome any unique ideas. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Brilliant concept. Did you get what is guerrilla negotiating strategy? Walk away with power. That's great. Don't be desperate. And remember, your must get, intend to get, nice to get. Good intelligence too. Gotta have that. And the terms matter. No deadline, no deal. And so much more. Head on over to a site and get the whole five strategies and really work them. And let me know how you like them. And there's so much more I got out of these interviews. What did you get? I would love to know how you use this information to help you in your business or career. Tell us, tell the world. Tweet at Tony, D-U-R-S-O, and grab hold of your vision. Decide you're going to either start something great or take it to the next level. You have to decide first. It always starts with a decision. And you can get my vision map to help you along the process. The free ebook is still online at TonyDURSO.com. At some point, the full book will be released with more info. But for now, get that and use that to stimulate your success. Hey, I created my empire in just a few years. That's all it took. I had the vision map as my guide, and you can do it too. Please follow me on social media. You can find most of those links on the homepage at TonyDURSO.com. You can also get the vision map there. And if you have iTunes or access to any Apple device, look up my name, Tony, D-U-R-S-O, and please subscribe to my show. A kind review there will get you tremendous appreciation back in return. Thanks and remember, success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 